down the rabbit hole? This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Now live. Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On the Para-X Radio Network. Welcome, welcome. This is Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole, and I am here with my most excellent, bodacious co-host, Jason, sometimes M.F. Caldwell. How you doing, Jason? You could just start referring to me as Frat or M.F., I guess. Yeah, if people actually, if we could actually say that on the air, they would, we would get kicked off the air if we actually said what the MF means. So, <laughs> for those of you who were listening last week, we had a long conversation with Shaman Jim, who was going to be taking over every other week of the show. It was a fascinating, awesome talk about real shamanism, something near and dear to my heart, and what real shamans risk and what we both have risked in our pursuit of shamanic practices. Uh, which is a good segue into some of the things coming up. Uh, some announcements. My class at the Arcanorium, uh, which is Peter Carroll's university. Uh, the class on non-dogmatic advanced energy work for beginners. It's not really for beginners, but it is for beginners and for advanced people like that will be taking place starting the 24th. Uh, because of some difficulties that Peter Carroll's having with his website, so it's not me. That'll be a six-week course, and we'll write then and get there, go into the 30-day energy work challenge uh, that we will be offering uh, via my website, andreavitamus.com, where we get everyone to try out doing energy work of different flavors for 30 days, just so you can see how it will totally change your life. And that's going to start August 1st for that contest. Uh, leading into October, which uh, me and the fine and most excellent Jason will both be at Crucible. And things have changed this year. Really? Oh, yes. It's going to be at the Hotel Somerset in Bridgewater. Oh, or, I am. I'm sorry. It's, it's the Hotel Somerset Dash Bridgewater in Somerset, New Jersey. Well, okay, and then. That is going to be October 26th. Yep. That is brought to you via Arthur and his Omnimancers. Right, several so. several guests from the show will be there, including Jason Miller, uh, Fratter R.O., I don't know if he calls himself Fratter, but Rufus uh, will be there, um, I'll be there, Jason will so be there. Get on crucibleconvention.com for all the details and the cheap, cheap rate of $119 a night if you want to reserve a hotel. Yep, in July, uh, and I hope Jason will come with me, I will again be at Starwood. And we're teaching non-dogmatic group ritual work, and I may be doing a ritual. It's kind of crazy. They haven't really decided yet. I don't know what to make of that, but it's cool. It's a fun event with lots of great concerts, and I'll be there on the weekend of the 13th. So all should get down there and keep Andrea company, because I don't think I'm going to make it this year. Uh, you, you, you suck. You should go. Well, if you don't go, that's fine. Somebody in Radioland, come keep me company then. I'll be DJing as well on Starwood Radio, which I sometimes like to do and enjoy doing. Uh, so I'll be down there. Uh, and of course, then in February, we're both signed up basically for convocations. So that's all the announcements we have to go up uh, a little bit further into time. So speaking of shamanic practices, uh, to segue into the show tonight, we're going to actually have a well-respected and uh, I just think he does unbelievably beautiful uh, artwork. I, 
when he produces his magical tools, they really are artwork. And when you look at the tools and the care, it's like looking at a fine masterpiece of art. And he's been a magician and a grimoire traditionalist for over 14 years in Western ceremonial magic. Uh, he takes the approach of trying to replicate the uh, medieval and Renaissance grimoires to a T. And when you look at the care and beauty that some of his talismans have, uh, I think you'll faint with the beauty. You can't see that over radio, but I can just tell you they're quite beautiful and I am often envious of the fact that I don't have time to make it look that good. Uh, but he has recently come out with a book, um, The Gateways Through Stone and Circle, which is in the film press, which actually goes through his personal experiences of, the, of working through the magic and philosophy of the Trigmaeus of Spingheim, and I might have butchered that horribly, or the art generally known as the art of drawing spirits into crystals. Um, this book is, uh, goes through everything you need to know to actually work that grimoire successfully. And uh, like I said, you can't see this online, but uh, when you actually look at his talismans and the pictures of his talismans, you realize this guy is the real deal. He uh, has totally spent the time and energy into this, and, and he knows what he's talking about. Without further ado, you what? can just Google a magician's workings and go to his blog, and you could see some examples of this beautiful, beautiful work. Right, that's right. But we can't show you that over the radio, but we can beam it into your psychic minds. Well, we can't really because it's radio. But without further ado, welcome to the show, Frater Ashin Chesson. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Uh, I really do uh, think that you, you can tell the beauty of the, the ceremonial talismans you, you made are quite impressive. So, Thank you. I, I appreciate it. enjoyed making uh, each and every one of them. A lot of them have been uh, surprised how they uh, have come out. I've, uh, I think I've just through my passions for the magical workings, I've gotten better and picked up skills of everything from carving to metalwork to sewing trying to make uh, all my tools myself and it's been a lot of fun frustrating sometimes but uh, really enjoyable especially when you're in the right mode mm-hmm so let's talk about gateways through stone and circle a little this I believe it's your first book through on the film press and the link will be on our, our site um, it goes through your experimentation and experience of actually working through this older grimoire, the art of drawing spirits into crystals. Right. Um, so I got I got interested in the Tritemius experiment. Um, I had known about it uh, for a little while. I was preoccupied with um, doing experiments through the Lamegaton, uh, the Goetia, and the Almendel. But um, after it being brought to my attention, the Tritemius experience through uh, Frater Rufus Opus, um, I wanted to really try this original uh, ceremonial magic experiment. I, I hadn't read anywhere where somebody had conducted these experiments uh, exactly how they were written about in the, in the Magus. And so I thought it would be a neat opportunity to explore something that um, no one seemed to have exact background in as far as the traditional proceedings and not only that but it's it's a very simple procedure as far as ceremonial magic goes especially renaissance type ceremonial magic it's it's very simple it's not quite like the Lamegatons Goetia which has an insane amount of preparatory work uh, ritual items lengthy conjurations this type of thing which you know I, I had already gotten to the point where I've done that so this seemed like something I could tackle and, and really get around. Uh, some of the items are a little challenging and were a little challenging uh, to make, but as far as conducting the ritual, um, the invocations uh, for these angels and beings, everything's pretty straightforward and, and simple. It's, it's not overly complex, and, and that appealed to me, and I wanted to see... Um, how well it would work and if I could make it work in the traditional sense. So that's where this came from. So uh, for, for this, 
uh, I mean, calling down the angels, uh, do you have any experiences when you were doing this that really stand out? And by planetary angels, maybe we should take a step back before you do that and actually talk about what the planetary angels actually are and why you would contact them. Probably a good starting point. Because I, don't, I know what they are, and Jason knows what they are, but I don't know that all our listeners do. Right. Yeah, and I'd be happy to go over them. And, and even for me, it was a, definitely a, a work of uh, exploration because I, I was coming from a background with at least knowledge about uh, these planetary angels. And, and um, the way that most of us learn about it is that um, you, if it's through the Golden Dawn or something like this, it's all Kabbalistic uh, associations with, with these archangels. You have these um, choirs, and it's, it's almost bridging... Um, two cultural religious traditions, both the kind of uh, Catholic and, and, and a lot of the angels have almost their separate um, uh, mythos and, and everything around those as, as far as uh, their categories and how they were placed in the different choirs and everything. And you've got these books these uh, that are famous, kind of attributed to um, religions is you know and definitely steeped in, in a lot of magical lore like the book of Enoch and everything but uh, the uh, Kabbalah and the Judaism tradition definitely has their own um, take on these on these messengers of these angels but basically for this tradition um, these uh, the most famous archangels got attributed to the seven main uh, celestial planets um, that were in the solar system and, and adopted a lot of the attributes and uh, in some ways they almost replaced a lot of the the Greek gods and goddesses that were originally, well not originally but you know more famously attributed to them but kind of passed through different cultures and religious beliefs so it's almost like the the continuation is how I see it, the continuation of those those energies and, and man's kind of drawn towards those celestial bodies uh, in a way to make them more acceptable in, in, a, uh, in a Christian framework, uh, especially as these Christian magicians were um, contacting and, and uh, wanting to learn more about these, these beings. Um, it made, you know, made better sense that instead of uh, God forms, they were um, messengers and, and powers under God, and they could each have these attributes that uh, the, the planets contain with the same correspondence um, that each one of them re represents. So you get um, into contacting these these energies through the same way that they were contacted um, when the Greeks prayed to the god Mars. You know, if they needed to be fierce in battle or to win a war or, or something like this. And instead of uh, Ares or Mars, now we have um, Archangel Samael. So, so just for go ahead. Well, I got a question about that, but first off, I, I was really bad, guys. I just have to say, about what time did we start the conversation? Because I lost track. No worries, I have the time. It's been 13 minutes. Okay, good deal. Well, so what do you think about that, okay? If one tradition is using a different set of names than another, do these spirits not care? Are they the same spirits, different spirits? With your conversations with these particular spirits, have you gleaned any interesting information from their perspective? It's an excellent question, and, and because it's one that's on my mind, and it's it's such an interesting uh, paradox, and it's working with these systems, and, and actually having knowledge of uh, not only the grimoire and, and the Christian magic attached. That when when I'm working through a tradition, I stick within that framework. I don't gear off, and I don't shy away from uh, Christian attributes and ideals about how things work and everything. I try to understand it from that perspective. And the interesting thing about these beings and these angels and the, and the conversations that I've had with them is that they there's not so many of these defining lines that, that we have in, in, in culture and, and basically in the mind of man. They perfectly understand and it's almost like they, they can adapt themselves to uh, the way that people are perceiving them. And it's like I can get a sense of that and some of the responses are, but they're like, yes, you know, we... I am this archangel, and they're perfectly aware of the religious um, dynamics of Christianity and Judaism, and 
and you know you can kind of ask it questions and you get these these interesting responses how they, there's there's deep honor there but they're perfectly aware of their uh, attributes and and uh, the uh, correlations to the Greek gods and gods and there's there's an interesting lack of conflict on, on the part of the the angels and the celestials like they're able to uh, seem to, to slip into one role or another you know without without care and I think a lot of um, what it is uh, about when people have, have asked me about these angels before especially like you know Archangel Michael is this phenomenally huge power huge power in the world and, and it's his attributes are so many and, and his full essence of exactly what that energy means what that name's attached to um, I learned this beyond my comprehension uh, uh, you know his intelligence for whatever part is he will manifest it's here it fills up the entire chamber completely blown away his image is clear and he's there but I there's a part inside myself that like I can see I'm interacting but I don't have the faintest clue of the, of the, the totality which this being is even though I'm perceiving it, even though it's it's speaking and it's you know it's working with me, I don't. There's something way beyond that I can even. I don't have a comprehension. I don't have the fullest extent of these limiting cultural and you know, linguistic and you know. Oh, I, I totally understand what you're getting at. It's. Especially, Michael, somebody who you could try to trace historically, and you find all kinds of interesting information about where this this being may may or may not have originated from originally. It's just huge, right? But there is an acknowledgement of this higher creator, and and you know, there's a lot of the incantations. Yeah, even mention uh, Jesus and you know God and everything, and you know, it's I, it's so much in the person. I think, especially since. I've been on both sides of the uh, Christianity fence, uh, so to speak. Sure. Um, but there's no conflict with them. It, it absolutely is, you know, one way or another. And, it, and if it's powerful for the person, they, they understand that. They can see and get a complete picture of uh, the sincerity of, of where your faith is, what your beliefs are, what, you, what you're able to conceive of and comprehend. They seem to on their part be able to um, match their behavior, match their, their correspondence so that you can understand. So you have found them to be too horribly dogmatic trying to push any one type of system onto you, really. Exactly. They, they, there's some universal things that I think may apply and the angels, especially some of them, they, they do have um, some interesting um, codes of conduct so to speak they respond best to sincerity and kind of when you're I always notice like when my heart is open and I'm humble and I really come at the experiment of I want to perceive you I want to learn and everything but I understand that once they're there I mean I think even their presence when it's really happening you're like all of my knowledge everything that I'm tossing this aside yes I'm in the circle and you know one with my creator through these incantations but you know this is a great power and you, I'm humble and open I don't claim to know exactly what they all are I know that they're there and it's powerful but I think even trying to put them into this box well they're the angel and they can do this this and this but not this and they have to look this way that's not even especially it's evocation with them I'm just in in the genuineness of the experiment and and the experience and they are there as they are and, and I just try to perceive them and take them as they are so in gateways through um, stone and circle you, you go through all of the different planetary angels so do you have a favorite one out of the planetary angels? Well, I hate to be a, I don't know, somewhat particular because they're each incredibly powerful and, and also can be very beneficial mm -hmm. uh, depending, but the one that I've worked with the most and I think I've become the most 
familiar with is Satchiel, or by his other name, Zadkiel, which is the Archangel of Jupiter. And being involved through the, uh, the gentleman of Jupiter and um, just contacting this angel um, primarily, I think I've, I've definitely grown uh, a fondness of, of his energy and uh, which whichever angel arrives it's amazing their energetic signature that arrives even before any kind of visual confirmation or audible confirmation when you start to speak they their presence is markedly unique and i just i very much appreciate being um, in the presence and uh, in the atmosphere of Zadkiel, this kind of uh, fatherly, kingly, immensely, it's the combination of immensely powerful, but also jovial and, and, and friendly, this very ease of power. There's no um, harsh forcefulness. There's this embrace of that he's got this relaxed confidence that, you know, he has a, a way of without even speaking when he arrives that everything's going to be set in order everything's going to be okay i hope everything's going to be okay because it sounds like chaos breaking out outside of my house yeah i heard that too <laughs> well you know at least they're not drag racing tonight which they drag usually race. do uh <laughs> Usually, when we're, we're doing the show, what we hear from Jason is... <laughs> Somebody just dropped the flag. and So, one of the things that um, you talk about that uh, you actually disagree with many of the uh, modern grimoire-type books that people are pumping out a lot lately... Um, is the idea of scrying and partners in magic. This this is actually, um, you make a point to disagree with those books a little bit. So maybe we could talk about that. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and I, it's it's kind of a big point that I bring up in my book. And, it, and it's funny because uh, there's some other magicians, and I won't name any names on here, but uh, that I have a high respect for because to me, and through my own experiences and everything, from what I've read from them, um, I'm like, I don't, you never know until you see, but I was like, I'm really willing to bet that they've experienced the real thing, uh, you know, like I have, because I've been there. It's intense, it's not in imagination, oh, I can kind of sense them, and, you know, maybe the candle flickered or this, there's, when it comes to evocation and, and speaking with, with spirits, um, I tend to be a little bit strict and, and very, very hard and also kind of skeptical of a lot of people's experiences because I believe that the grimoires and, and some of these experiences that, you know, when they talk about loud voices and banging and lights and, and the spirit appearing and speaking to you in front of you that, you know, that's that was going on. And I, I wanted to see if that was really possible and when I finally got that experiment I'm like there is a lot of people who don't either don't know or really don't believe this can happen and there's a huge difference because I've astral travel I'd, I've had intense um, hypnotic journeys and guided imageries and, and this kind of thing but they're not comparable to these evocation of these spirits who I mean, they're there, and they're, you know, in the room, and it's a very dynamic experience and very, very different than, than I think what a lot of people are explaining. So, um, you know, with, with these people, getting back to the points and everything, they're, they're kind of saying the same thing I am, and I, I'd hear more than that. So people see me as that traditionalist, and I really am, because I'm like, work from the book, actually try it out as it says, do it like it says and really put your energy there first instead of making assumptions like oh that really doesn't work you don't really need this item and you know they kind of appear and talk into your head and that's fine and you know you'll get kind of the result you were expecting so I'm in that class but uh, a lot of these people or at least a few of them that I've talked to they seem to be really against um, working with a partner and at first I was there too because um, I wanted to experience it myself. I certainly wasn't going to experience 
talking through spirit through somebody else, um, and you know, even if it was dynamic for them, it's still it's still second party. It's still like a secondhand faith. Well, like sure, you got to worry about the bias of the other person. Yeah, exactly. And um, for ma- magic is such an intensely personal thing. Um, you want to be for you, and there, there are there can be some dangers, and, and of course, it's it's a lot more variables when you are working with a person. But the fact of the matter is that if you're going to be a traditional grimoire, you got to be a traditional grimoire. And and, the, and I think that in the ninety percent of grimoires say that uh, not only should you you should be working with another person, but you know it's almost like a rule. Another person has to be with you if you know, if you're going to do these kind of experiments. And that's from the the, the key of Solomon. Um, the Jotemius has it's black and white. You know, you should always have at least one other person in the circle with you, and this kind of thing. So, um, well, what happened? Well, those notes out of curiosity, did you ever get yourself in trouble from working alone? Uh, luckily, no. I mean, I've had um, some intense experiences, and and I've uh, my more dangerous workings have been with the Lamegatons Goetia because I went all out and and. Um, had the preparatory work, but um, I, honestly, I think what saved me from some of this, what they call the slingshot effect or the backlash effect, some sort of paradox happening, whatever they want to call it, some of those items, some of those vestments that you wear, the lion skin belt, the circle being created, the the invocations set a certain way, they're almost like a legal contract. There, there's a lot of safeguards in there, I think, that were placed in there for a reason. But I think a lot of people gloss over or admit because they don't think they're important. And if anything, I'm almost willing to bet a lot of those magic practices that I did that I didn't get into those kind of troubles, even when things didn't quite go the way I'd hoped, um, that I was saved afterwards because I adhered to these safeguards, that I adhered to this, you know, tradition and, and, you know, these practices that, that looked like they weren't thrown in there because they're you know, for wow and, you know, this kind of flamboyance, but that they actually had purpose and, and meaning and function. So, so you, go ahead, Jason. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's fine. So, one of the things that, uh, because you actually, like, kind of disagree with a lot of the kind of neo-modern, uh, ideas about the scryer is that you actually talk about how to develop a person as a scryer or get them to be able to be a scryer and and then you talk about some of the classical means of augmenting scrying ability with the mirror or the crystal with using herbal uh, herbal and some metal mixtures that's right Um, I I added that part to the book um, because I thought it was important especially I'm like some people might be picking up this book who uh, are pretty brand new to the whole ceremonial magic, um, you know, tradition or method or, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I figured that you know, if they wanted to conduct this experiment, and I don't know, maybe they're drawn to the drawing spirits and the crystals format. So I wanted to give them as much information as I could. So from the beginning of working with a scryer, if that's something what they wanted to do um, as a separate section, like maybe. Maybe they'd done other work, but they'd never worked with the scryer. So it, it was a brand new... Actually, the interesting thing was that I wrote it uh, pretty freshly after doing, um, you know, some experiments with my scryer, but I was brand new to using a scryer. I'd done everything alone up to that point. Um, but through some of my second um, invocations, evocations of these spirits, um, I started working with the scryer, and I came up with this formula which took basically all my learning about being a hypnotherapist and being able to get this person into a receptive state and to just totally be open to the experience while using the incantations and and ceremonial magic and they work fantastic. I've had so much success and it's just been a joy uh, working these experiments with my scryer and actually doing it with other people. Uh, the best way, what I love to see is to grab somebody new but who's open, never had any kind of experience or anything else, and I, I get them into this state and in the midst of this experiment, and they, they just 
you know, some of them are in tears, and you could just see on the face. I mean, it's just amazing. Happy tears. Not, I mean, they're not terrified, but they're just, they're overjoyed. They're just like, this is an amazing experiment. And these, these seem very uh, thankful, and it's always very, very powerful. And I love being able to to share this magic, to share the the reality of these spirits. And I get them open, and even though I have questions for them, I don't lead them on about what to expect, what the spirit should look like, anything. They experience it exactly how they're going to experience it. So whether they know the Archangel, an idea of them or not, it's neat to see them undergo these experiences, tell me about it, and, and see how much these, these beings are, they're really their separate intelligence. I mean, you don't need to know what they look like and what they're about ahead of time. They, if the person's in the right place and they're scrying, they'll be able to see them, and, and they have the same attributes, they have the same mannerisms. Uh, there are, it's, the intelligence is the, what my scryer said with uh, an experiment we did uh, just last uh, Thursday was that um, you know he was just surprised about how uh, unique their personalities was. That you know they're out there; these intelligences are their own, their own being, and it's it's neat to see that. Uh, and an outside perspective because I have my own experiences and, and they're fantastic and they keep me going but it is nice to be able to share this with other people and, and to combine efforts and that's been a so big. in other words you're getting affirming information like you're bringing other people into these experiments and they're coming back with information that's very much akin to what you've already experienced exactly that's cool yeah it's, very it's really cool. neat yeah, it's kind of a, a very like I don't need validation. I mean, it's it's completely as real as it can be for there, and and I enjoy it. But it's it's yeah, it's an extra thing. I've well, I, I was, you also have to realize some people have a different perspective that thinks, oh well, these beings can be very different for each individual because they're coming through your expectations. So that's that's a different take on things from other right. people's experiences. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Um. Now, yeah, I wanted to ask about the scrying aspect. Well, first let's oh, talk scrying. about the augmentation. Sure. The augmentation that you brought up, uh, how you're adding hip, hypnotherapist techniques to get other people in the right state of mind. Are you augmenting pre-ritual prep work in hypnosis, or are you incorporating techniques into the evocation itself? Uh, I would. It's going to be a co- combination of, of both, depending on the experiments, like the, uh, the Tritemius experiment. Um, when I'm working with a, a scryer, like they, they're going to have some idea. They're going to have the the lemon of the uh, the archangel's sigil and you know and the symbol and everything. And they're I'm going to ask them to kind of look at that, and and they're going to be basically getting themselves connected that way. Even if they they don't know exactly what it means or the association, I'm going to have them stare at the you know, the angels layman while I'm getting everything going while uh, there's a preparatory we both go through some cleansing and such together and to to get in the, the proper frame and also to honor the grimoire tradition. Um, but uh, basically they're there and I'm doing all the rest of the work. I do the the invocations, the evocations uh, to the angel. And uh, but beyond that the um, the scryers in a completely open state of mind. And as far as hypnosis is concerned, what I like to do, and I guess I should have said this earlier, through the cleansing process, um, I'll get them down. My scryer can go down in minutes, probably a minute now, because he's just very good and he's very used to my techniques. So I basically do the hypnotic induction in a very ceremonial type fashion, but it's still the same thing, and I'll use numbers uh, counting down from you know, 10 to 1 and um, saying a lot of um, suggestions for relaxation and for focus and to be receptive and everything but um, you know just the relaxation um, words and inductions and anything beyond that is just the invocations like there's no other um, what, what we would call suggestions or post-hypnotic suggestions of sure what the angel should be like what it should look like I, I make it because I want the experiment to be as, as pure as we can make it you know for one so I don't want to color it, so I'm just, you know, it's relaxation. Get into the, the mode where I know he's going to be re- receptive for scrying. 
calling up the angel and then it goes on from there and whatever he, he experiences is what he experiences so given that information have you come up with any hypothesis of what the grimoric authors would have done back in their time well I'm thinking um, it would have been actually a lot of the same thing um, the human mind like hypnosis is not um, a unique element it's uh, there's states of mind that, that everybody goes through uh, every day just like that guy on the motorcycle in the background I'm sure I you know when when uh, you're used to to being when you're used to driving or, or doing something you you can be in alter state of mind like you can think about something else and your body just kind of responds because it's used to it in the hopefully in the days in state of focus and not an intense state of recklessness yes yeah hopefully we hope that's, <laughs> <laughs> we hope that's the case uh, but getting back to I mean the they they use children a lot of times because of their natural openness and and their lack of almost needing to place labels and, and controlling um, psychological devices on, on happenings. They're able to just experience whatever is going on and, and take the experience for what it was. You know, I've thought about that a lot. And when, when you really try to think of how does a kid operate, they take everything at face value. They don't have that background chatter we have as an adult where we're constantly comparing what we're experiencing to something else that we've experienced in the past. Exactly, exactly, and that's whether you were good, and in, in, in the later years with uh, Hockley and some of the, uh, you know, the later uh, magicians and Renaissance uh, magicians, uh, women were sometimes invited because of their intuitiveness and, and their ability to open up and just receive from all senses without trying to, you know, immediately um, analyze and, and uh, you know, rationally break things down so you you have in if you read the grimoires um, there's these lengthy purification processes there's these the very kind of strict rules in, in the magical chamber and and uh, a mage and a magician who would you know be very serious about his work the scryer would probably in, intuitively just go right off of that and be like okay I need to be here I need to be looking in this this bowl of water or um, in this crystal and everything, and you know, he's he would be telling him that you know, you're going to be open, and your full concentration is just going to be on this. So it it would have been a method across cultures of, of basically uh, a guided hypnotic induction, because that's what you do when somebody comes to you for hypnosis. Uh, they're expecting to be in this the state of mind. They're they're going off of the the hypnotist or the hypnotherapist a word and also demeanor that they know what they're doing okay I'm I'm open recepting I'm gonna you know follow your lead I'm gonna follow your your commands and, and the same thing with the the magician and scryer partnership so I, I can really see the parallels there and, and I think that's why it works so well it's uh, it's a very very complimentary practice in that case so when you've made your ritual equipment and you've made all these preparations you're working with I don't know, probably in some cases Hebrew, in other cases maybe other languages. Have you done a lot of study to figure out what these words you're using actually mean? Does that matter in your work, or is it just more the presence of the words themselves? Definitely, definitely. I, I love the Grimoire tradition so much because of how much I've learned from them. I began complete and novice um, having a lot of mystical, magical, and spiritual experiences, but not much training, not many ideas about Kabbalah, about Hebrew, about, you know, ceremonial magical practices, um, and I didn't really get into that till um, probably I was about 17 or 18 when I got really serious about it. And I started studying, and, and you read these names of, of God and, and these powerful uh, barbaric words and everything and and um, for me it's it's I, I when it's something I'm passionate about I can never take it at fat, uh, face value so to make a long story short my passion for the the Goetia and the Lamegaton and, and all these grimoires caused me to really want to steep myself and understand what this was all about so I, I there is a, uh, a local rabbi um, in town and, and he's actually pretty famous he's been on some shows and everything else he speaks fluent not only Hebrew but ancient Hebrew and uh, he teaches Kabbalah 
and he was he knew of my I was just honest about being a hermetic magician and going with that and he was very open I mean he would tease me about it sometimes but um, I took classes once a week uh, in Kabbalah and continue when I can when I'm not working right. uh, and have for um, past two years so my knowledge in, in Hebrew and understanding the words and the letters and, and the power really trying to get a concept of, of um, you know what these words mean why, why is there so much power in this why why do people you know feel so intensely about these these names of God and, and everything else and it's it's been fascinating for me because I, I came full circle of growing up in a in a Christian household, not having a lot of questions answering for me, getting very angry and, and abandoning some things to totally relearning about where these traditions came from, why they hold so much power for people, what these experiences, these people, these biblical people, what do they mean and, and everything else because the especially the incantations in the Goetia, it's all Old Testament recall. And if you don't have any care, any knowledge, any biblical background, if it doesn't mean anything to you, then of course it's not going to bring up the kind of fire in your soul um, at all why you're doing this and trying to make the spirit obey by it. So um, I've really, really learned a lot, and, and that's been a fantastic benefit for doing uh, grimoire magic for me. So let me ask you a little question I've often wondered about. When you see Tetragrammaton in these older texts, do you think they literally mean Tetragrammaton the word, or is that a reference to yod heh It is a reference, and, and um, Jason Miller and I, and I, and I think some other magicians have had uh, discussions about this. And they're like, well, you know, Tetragrammaton, you know, the four-lettered name, you know, that's the reference. Why don't you just use the holy name and everything and um, for me I was like well interestingly enough in, in the uh, invocations and I go back to the Goetia just because it's where I began everything it's where I have probably the most experience they use both they use the Hebrew and the Greek and I'm like why would that be why, would they just ref you know use one or the other or maybe it's one of those historical you know typos or whatever but you see it written. It's it's written in some places on on the holy implements. It's written on the ebony wand, and the drawing spirits. And and I don't think they did it because they wanted to be respectful and just do the Hebrew. Because they they would do the Hebrew uh, in other circumstances. So they used both. And and I'd like to take it at that they kind of understood that one referred to the other. But if your concept of of uh, envisioning, um, sensing, and and your correlations to a name, even if it be a Greek name. If you know you're used to Latin, and when somebody would say tetragrammaton, it, it's this this feeling that arises of that of the four-lettered holy name of God. It's, it's it's still a direct reference. It's a very very powerful word when you have it in connotation. So my my take on it was. Not to take it away or just use it as, you know, a reference name or basically a title, but that it in of itself, because there's other Greek names um, that are used in the the triangle as well, and everything. There's other Greek names that's they're still reference. Even the Hebrew names are, are references. The Lord God of Hosts, you know, the God of this. It's it's pertaining to something. So even though it's in the Greek language, it's still for me a holy name. It's still a very powerful word, so um, I still use it. So, one of the primary talismans in, in Gateways Through Stone and Circle, uh, and you put up pictures of this, is the, the holy table with the ebony uh, pedestal. Maybe you could talk about, for a minute, what, what, is, what it was like when you finished that and when you were doing that, since the pictures you put up of that alone are extraordinarily beautiful yeah and I'm actually glad you you asked me about that because I think it was before I made the wand before I made any I think it was about the first uh, part of the the ritual implements that that I made and the interesting thing was is that I, like a lot of um, aspects of magic I came to it brand new I don't have very 
like I never uh, I took wood shop in, in junior high. That's the extent of my <laughs> wood carving. Uh, Same here. And, yeah, and background. Um, so I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't even exactly know what ebony wood was. So, I mean, I didn't realize it would be so heavy and so incredibly dense and near impossible to cut with a handsaw. I had no idea. I just like, okay, it costs for ebony. So when I decided to do this um, traditional ritual and, and make this implement, um, I, I really didn't know how I was going to do it, um, and I think, to be honest, um, I don't know if it's a muse or uh, maybe it is my. I have to almost give it to my HGA because some of these things turn out better than probably these should have, and better than I would imagine for my lack of organizational and, and prep work skill before I just dive in and start cutting things. And usually I do. I just I get the material. I just start working without. I mean, I have a ruler, but sometimes I don't even. You know, measure and everything. I just try to, I just try to make it, and sometimes it turns out like, like the pedestal did. And um, I remember working on it, and I decided to to make it on, begin to work on the first um, hour of Wednesday of Mercury, where I made a lot of my implements uh, for communication with the spirits, and it was kind of cold, and I was tired. I I got up early early, but I got everything ready. And um, I realized all these things I had to get. I had to get a, a circular saw. Um, and I actually had bought that before, but I had to cut the metal disc out. And I was going to get the gold on it and exactly how I was going to fit this, this crystal and make it stay without falling out of the, uh, the hole in the, in the gold. And, and a lot of it was just uh, working with it and trying to make little corrections so I didn't mess the thing up. And um, to be completely honest, uh, when it came out and I saw it, I was so surprised that um, I was holding like a physical representation of what the picture looked like to me in, in the Pagus. And um, it just, I, everything seemed to work out. When, when I, I get this feeling when, when a magical piece works, I've done prayers and I've done preparation and I just do it to the best of my ability and it, it comes back to the sincerity. Everything, especially with magical work, is just sincerity. Sometimes it's frustrating, but I just do it and I try to put everything I have into it and I don't stop until it's done. And that's kind of how they came out. So, I've got to ask, okay, say you're making a special implement during a specific planetary hour. Now, does that mean the work begins at that planetary hour and goes as long as it has to? Or do you give yourself a cutoff time where you have to come back and return to the work later? How does this work? When I begin, I, I work for as long as I can past the hour. For me, it's it's beginning the work and, and doing as much of the work as you can within that planetary hour um, as far as implements go. But, you know, if it doesn't keep finish, and I mean, I don't think I made any of this this stuff in, in the first hour um, and it, it took a lot of time oh I'm sure and I, and I kept going uh, if it was um, you know, like some of my bigger projects a, a time that I had to stop and pick back up um, I would try to gauge it and I would either pick uh, another you know hour of mercury um, and, but in some days I just I had to wait till next week or even a next favorable time on that day because sometimes you know I would try to check my Calendars and make sure that nothing was in detriment or you know anything like that, so that it was a positive time of working. So I just tried to do as much as I could in, in the time that I had, but I was I was conscious of, of when I began and also how I began. Um, I tried to be in the state of mind of you know I'm not making a toy or just making a prop. Um, I'm I'm making something that has names of the divine creator which whichever way that that's ultimately perceived that's what this is for these aren't just supposed to be powerful names these are vestments these are holy tools supposed to be designed for holy work and and that i really try to get that through all parts of my being every time even if it was something frustrating that i was working on that like this is this is something important. This is something that's meant for sacred work, um, not just not just a tool, not just a prop. Well, it's it's kind of funny that you mentioned it that way, because you're almost describing a religious like process 
even more than what most people would consider an operational magic process. Like, you're describing a religious experience in a way. And I, I say that's very true, and to be completely honest, um, beyond religions and, and beyond even with the system, my most powerful experiences, my most um, intimate connections to the Creator, to God, to these angels, they're the most powerful things I've, I've ever come in contact with in, in my life. They're the most important aspects of my life. There's, it's just beyond anything anything else. I mean, it's, it's a complete, it is a religious experience for me. And that's why even on my, my blog, I kind of mentioned it, that my religion, and it's, it's difficult to explain to people because I don't want them to, to think that, but it's, it, it is magical. I, for me, it's a pers magic is a personal experience with the divine. There's, there's no barriers and, and everything. And even though these, these implements come from you know, different people and cultures and this thing, when you're, when you're in the midst of you know, being in the presence of, of divinity, of, of feeling in the presence of God or these angels, even even the demons, even the things that are scary and everything, um, I feel closest to the Creator then. So that is some of the most powerful times in my life. So, I mean, yes, it's, there's a reverence there. There's an important that this work has impacted me beyond anything else, and, and this is where I've come to see truth. There's nothing in between me and, and the spiritual uh, experience that I'm having. So what do you think, Frater? Is everyone cut out for this? Or is this to be left up to the role of those who are more of a priest to intercede on others? And that is the biggest thing because <clears throat> when you when you get into some aspects of the of the grimoires, um, there definitely seem to be practiced by the majority of, of clergy, at least from the, the lower clergy, the uh, the exorcist and you know, some of the people with minimal duties, but I'm sure some of the uh, even higher clergy of the Catholic Church um, had knowledge and practice as well. I mean, Tritemius was an abbot. He was a very, very learned man advanced in the church, and, and he was very, I think, cut out for magical workings. Um, not everybody is going to be drawn to this, and, and just like people in their experience, it's not their time to witness some of these events. And uh, there's an understanding that goes with that. Some people aren't ready. Some life can get hectic sometimes just dealing with the day-to-day. -day. I mean, I have to live in the real world, too, and it's easy to get caught up to that and just try to make it in, in that world without even having to worry or, or even um, think that these things exist, that these beings exist. And it's understandable. You can kind of see it's not, a, it's not an ego thing. Um, I really have to watch myself. It's not. Some people are just, they're not there yet. They're not, it's not their, their purpose to go through these experiences right, right now. But, you know, there, it, we don't have to worry. I mean, there, everyone's, there's a connection there regardless. And everybody is just going through their life experiencing what they're supposed to at, at that time. I mean, that's my take on it. Uh, there are some people that I think are drawn to this and when they look into it, things just open up like like myself. I mean, it's, it can't, it's not an ego thing, too. There's just a lot of things that I think that happened and gave me the space and the time and, and the money to, to be able to do this. It, it just worked out. I mean, I was passionate about it. I was driven. But I think if I had hit brick wall after brick wall, I'd, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have tried any further. It just happened to work out for me. Very so, cool. go ahead, Jason. Well, with your interactions, what have you found? Like, <clears throat> I guess what I what I want to get at: Do the spirits intercede for you and your life, and do you favors, and you see supernatural things come into play, or is it more that they're working on the person and giving you advice on how to change your ways in life? Uh, definitely both. <laughs> uh, there's so much I think of. Uh, what's happened to me from the, even the book um, that I have to give credit to some outside sources that um, really worked on on my behalf because 
Um, I really do work on some things, but other things I'm kind of like, well, if it happens, it happens, and you know, some things just like the book came about. It was a complete shock to me. I had no intention to write a book to be an author. I was like, wow, these guys are great. I never even considered that it would go that far. I was like, well, maybe a pamphlet, you know, maybe something that I can sell for two dollars on online at at first. It was just. Uh, you know, this just something that I went, but the the further I went into it, it, it just it kind of developed. It just kind of came out, and I got a lot of positive reinforcement. And those were the things that I didn't directly ask for. But you know, when the angels and, and these beings and why I converse with them, if there's something that I need, or if there's something I really ask for, it's there. But quite honestly, with uh, dealing with angelic, like in the in the gateways. They're there, and like I said, it comes back to sincerity. I, I need this in my life. I really won't want this. Well, if you really need it, you know, this is what you do. This is the kind of person that you need to be, you know, to be this way. Because if it's something that you truly want to own, it's got to be on the inside. Because, you know, everything on the outside, it's going to come, it's going to go, it'll fall away eventually. But if, if this is something you really want, like I really want to be in my early invocations evocations I want to be able to interact with spirits better and everything and it happened but it's like you need this is going to be taxing you need to be this kind of person in your life you know you've got to do this work and and it's um, you know this is definitely a uh, mystical very spiritual interaction there's I think some people come with this magic like I'll call somebody up and, and I'll get something and it'll be neat but I think uh I even thought that. I remember kind of being that way, and it's amazing how things change when you come into conference and to interaction with these beings, and all of a sudden it's not a an us and mess, them game. You're part of something big, and, and you need to be doing your work, and they constantly remind you of that. And sure, life has problems, and they're definitely there to help you out, but if you're following your purpose and doing the things that you need to be, those things are there they're already there it's just how you come about them it's just a very interesting dynamic so let's talk about the uh the results of the scrying process uh, what i wonder and i've gotten variable different takes on this do you see them within the crystal like a little tv monitor or do they appear outside the boundaries or are you put in such a trance state at times that you have a vision that almost takes you out of your your personal reality for a moment and uh, my response to that is is yes <laughs> that would have been my right. response yeah. <laughs> would have been yes yes we, we have about deep. three minutes so I'm just warning everyone okay but um, yeah. yeah and I don't have I mean I should be able to wrap it up fairly quickly is that if uh, when I've been in the experience and, and not only their appearance but their communication I think I posted on that when they're speaking they string so many things together it's 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 wild it's almost a bit much for these archangels to at least from my and i'm sure there's other magicians that their brains work better than mine but i can hear their words i the each they definitely have a, a noticeable type of voice and when they appear uh, a lot of times there's light uh the atmosphere changes and i'll see them in the crystal and i can see oh wow and then all of a sudden they're they're in the gold part and I'm like that's weird their wings are extending through the, the gold disc and then you know all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting very intense images in my mind and then all of a sudden I see you know the silhouette they're like uh, uh, superimposed right in front of the crystal but they're like a little bit bigger and I can see their energy and they're like right there and the crystal's still shining and it's the focal point but I see their entire out, outline they're you know, and they're moving, and and then they're they're speaking to me. They're showing me images, and I'm also getting these intense emotional feelings that that's transferring the message, the the response that I was looking for, and in so much better way than just them stringing words back to me. So their their way of giving me responses and messages is it's like this whole spiritual experience instead of just you know, like yes or no type. Uh, questions. I mean, they can. They have said like yes or no to it, especially when you're asking them if they are who they are. But yeah, it's a whole experience of them. It's a it's a whole dynamic. And yes, they're clear, but sometimes their images change, and their their the perception of them will change 
but it's it's never distracting. It's like they do it uh, perfectly to convey some sort of message, and that's how a lot of them are. Um, some of them will move. Some of them pretty much stay stay in the same place. It, uh, it just really depends. Very cool. Do you have any upcoming events in the last uh, few seconds? That any book signings, up, upcoming events? Uh, as far as in uh, my magical world, the uh, the next probably upcoming event is is uh, my inclusion of my personal experiences. The first time I've actually ever shared it with anyone, and I'm publishing it. And I think it's the culminated work. I believe it's called Walking with the Angel. Uh, myself and, and many of my fellow mag- uh, friends and, and magicians uh, are including their piece about the Holy Guardian Angel, their particular case, and, and, and their take on it. I haven't read theirs yet, I just know what I edited in that, so that's going to be the next uh, upcoming thing for me. Well, very good. We want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, if you could stay on the air, uh, I'll take us on out. Thank the alumnus. Uh, next time up, we're going to have the people who won the 30-day entity challenge, hopefully, if I can arrange that. And next week, Shaman Jim will be taking over, uh, just like we've been announcing. All right, then with that, uh, wish you all a good night. Uh, everyone just stay on the air for a second while I take us on out. <laughs>